I don't know about you, but my kids love to rank things. I don't know, like, or maybe we all kind of do this. They're like, what's the best, fill in the, fill in the blank, what's the greatest uh, cereal? What's the greatest um, candy bar? What's your favorite candy bar? What's, your, what's the best? And we like to rank things. My kids uh, love a YouTube channel called Dude Perfect. Anybody want to be, as an adult, admit to like, I still maybe watch this? We watched their latest one yesterday, if you haven't seen it yet. Pretty, pretty remarkable. They put a rocket in the back of a football and they threw it like 150 yards or something. It's nuts. Um, but my kids love this, this YouTube channel and they do something called Top 10 every so often. And so usually it's Tyler, one of the main characters of the, of the guys and, and they all are dogging him on his top 10. So slowly he reveals from 10 to one, the best that he thinks, what's the greatest restaurant? What's the greatest um, a candy? What's the greatest ice cream? You know, all these things, movies and such and uh, cereals. And I remember them doing cereals one time. And so my kids wanted to make one of these things. And so their, their uh, papa helped make them this stand so they could put in order uh, the various things that they wanted to rank and see, like, what's the top 10? What's their favorite? Uh, for me, I, if you're just curious, like, if it comes to cereal, I don't think there's anything greater than Cocoa Krispies. I don't know if you've had that before. If you're like, you know, I'm an adult, Eric, so no, I don't have Cocoa Krispies anymore. Well, my kids are still kids, so I, every once in a while, sneak in and get the uh, Cocoa Krispies. Those usually, like, like, my kids one time when they were doing this ranking of the top 10, they did not have Cocoa Krispies on the top. And I'm going like, what in the world? Every time we have Cocoa Krispies, what do you guess you guys go for? Every time they take Cocoa Krispies. I'm like, I don't even ever get a chance to it. And so I'm like, no, 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 you actually have Cocoa Krispies at the top. And if you don't, you're messed up. Uh, you're missing out because it's like, who doesn't want cereal and then also get chocolate milk after you've eaten your cereal? It's incredible. Um, you know, but it's, it really is kind of fun to watch these kind of things. And we love to debate things. We do it in our home. We're debating over like, who's the best team in the NFL? You know, who's going to win the Super Bowl? Who do we think is the best team ever in history? And we like to debate who's the greatest basketball player? Who are the goats of different sports? And it's interesting is in, in, in and uh, a debate on things, uh, and these types of things isn't new. This isn't something we've invented in the 21st century. It's not something that now we're like, all right, with sports figures and things, we like to debate. Uh, in reality is this goes back way, way, way back. This goes, I mean, who knows how far actually it goes back, but we at least know it goes 2,000 years because there was a debate over what is the greatest commandment. What in fact, like, you know, because I mean, for instance, there were 613 commands in the books of Genesis through Deuteronomy that uh, they decided and determined, all right, there's about 613 various commands in the, uh, just uh, the Torah itself. And some of these laws and these commands were seen as prominent. I mean, like, like listen, you break this command, there is harsh consequences, even to the point of death. And then there was other laws and commands that were maybe of lesser and lighter consequences. And so naturally, the rabbis, the scribes, and others, they would debate these things. Which is the most important in all of the law? And so naturally, a scribe now comes to Jesus with this question. And this morning, the outline's a little more unique. We're just asking ourselves through our points this morning various questions. And the first is, what command is the most important? That was the command, that even the question that we're getting asked this morning. 
by the scribes. Jesus has now faced many questions. We've been looking at these. We saw a question on politics and like paying taxes to Caesar and should we pay these taxes? We looked last week at about resurrection and marriage. Is there marriage in the, in the resurrection? Is there in fact a resurrection? And we looked at that last week and now they've each time of all of these questions they've asked and they've come with really a trap. They've come with a question that was a loaded question. Last week, our first title was, our first point was an absurd question because it was the absurdity of their question is they didn't really care about the answer. They wanted to show the foolishness of believing in a resurrection. And so they asked their question in that way. So now they've given up. They've asked their questions. They've sent teams. They've got their best lawyers and different ones to ask. And now after observing all these things, a a lonely scribe, comes to Jesus and asks him a question. And if you have a Bible, Mark chapter 12, verse 28, I want to invite you to look there with me, is where we see Jesus' answer to this question. It says in verse 28, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, he's like, he was impressed. This man, he sees Jesus' response to the resurrection. He's seen his response to Caesar and should we pay taxes to Caesar? Because they knew they had him there, right? If he answers one thing, he's going to oust himself and, they're, and now Rome is going to, they're going to treat him as an insurrectionist and they're going to kill him. If he goes the other direction and says, oh, you don't pay taxes to Caesar, only render the things to God, like only worship God. You shouldn't, you shouldn't pay taxes to Caesar. If he says that, then naturally they're going to come after him. But if he says pay taxes to Caesar, then... Wait, he's supposed to be the Messiah. He's the promised one. And so they put him in these trapped scenarios. And now this man recognizes these things and has really been marveling at and amazed by Jesus' response. And so then he comes with his own question. And he asks him, and he says, which commandment is the most important of all? What a question. What a question to ask and say, which is of all the commands in Scripture? This man is a scribe, meaning he knows the law really well. He knows his Old Testament. He knows the Scriptures. He's taught from them. He's looked at them. He's observed them. He has memorized them. And he's going to Jesus and asks the question, which of all of them is, in fact, the greatest? And Jesus answers. Look at his answer. Verse 29. Jesus answered, the most important is. Isn't this interesting? Of all the other questions, there's been ulterior motives behind it. Here a man comes with him with a legitimate question. Which is the greatest commandment? We don't know, in fact, if he was trying to trap Jesus or not, or if he's trying to just single him out or figure out where he lies on certain things. We don't really know that. We know from the other, though, that Mark was pointing out, hey, they're trying to trap Jesus. They're not coming with real questions. They're just trying to discredit him. This man, we get no mark of that. And in fact, what we get is a commendation even from Jesus. But Jesus answered him and said, the most important of all is this. Hear, we just read this, Austin read it earlier. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, and with all your strength. 
And then he adds in verse 31, the second. The man asked him, which is the greatest? Jesus said, I'll give you two. <laughs> give a bonus answer for you. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. This guy got a clear answer. There wasn't, a, there was no like grayness to his answer. Like, what do you, like, okay, like, you know, as he's answering these questions and dealing with the various trapping questions that he's getting, you know, they're like, uh, they're marveling at the way and his wit and the way he would answer and, or, or the way he would ask a question back to them. Here he just gives the answer. The man asks, what's the greatest? Jesus says, hear, O Israel, the Lord and he goes on and says, our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Jesus goes straight to what this scribe would have known. The Shema, as Austin mentioned earlier, this was a statement that would have been said every morning. They would have just, they had it memorized. They would say it in the morning. As they rise, they would say it as they go to bed. They would say these words in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. This would have been also introduced as they gathered as at the synagogue for worship. When they would gather at the synagogues, he, this would have been the verses they would have kind of started with. This would have been like today, the Apostles' Creed, the various creeds for the church and these declarations of their belief system. This is what they would say. They would say it together collectively. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, with all your strength. They would have known this command. This command would have been recited over and over again, and it would have been said many times. And Jesus is saying, that what command in all of the Bible, if you could wrap up 613 different commands, which one is of the most importance? Jesus says it's a love for God and for neighbor. He added, though, because in the Shema, there was no mention of this second command, as Jesus says, being like it, love your neighbor as yourself. That would have come from Leviticus 19, verse 18. And so they would have also been familiar with that. They would have been familiar with a love for neighbor. But the radical aspect of that was Jesus putting both together. That was unheard of. There was no other mention in the history of, in the annals of history, in the various scribal writings and other things. There wasn't like this connection of these two. Here Jesus says, love God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. He kind of joined them together in a unique way. The reality is this was pretty radical. Why was it radical? Because this was not the case in first century Palestine. This is not the case today. And Jesus defined this when asked a different question, who is my neighbor? When he's asked this question, like who is, when someone asks him this question, who is your neighbor? What did he go to say? It's the familiar story for many of you of a good Samaritan, a man who was beaten and robbed and left for dead and you know, a Levite walks by, you know, this, it's like, kind of like me, you know, here comes a pastor walking by and he sees a guy beat up and he's like, oh, let me just avoid that. I never saw that. Act like you never saw it. Like when you see someone in Walmart that you didn't really want to talk to and you're like quickly moved another aisle. This is what this guy does. He avoids and goes on. He doesn't help him. But then yet a Samaritan man, someone who's so hated so that the two, like basically enemies, this, this, 
hatred of Jew and Samaritan. And here this Samaritan man sees this man hurting on the side of the road and he takes care of him. And it's very specific in how he cares for him. It costs him greatly to care for this man. You see a great love for someone. And Jesus said, this is who your neighbor is. It's not just who you're friends with. It's not just the people who are directly beside you and around you. It is anyone. And and our responsibility is to love people, love others. How? The way we love ourselves. Because guess what? Love for self comes very naturally. We don't need to be commanded to love ourselves. Yes, some people struggle with identity and struggle with these various things. But reality is this. Most of us, we have no problem loving ourselves. We love ourselves too much is the problem. We need a command to take the love that we have for ourselves and how much we do that and to kind of deny ourselves, as Jesus said, take up your cross daily and follow me. We're to deny ourselves and love other people. Jesus is saying this is the greatest commandment. Now, the question I want to ask this morning next is not just what the commandment is, because you probably, maybe already had heard this before, familiar to you maybe. But why is this? Of all the commands, the greatest, why is this one most important? You see, again, in the Shema, this was a statement of uniqueness. If you have a Bible, Austin read it earlier. I want to go back there, if you don't mind. Deuteronomy chapter 6. I mean, Jesus is quoting it, but I want you to see it from the Old Testament as well. So Deuteronomy chapter 6. In verse 1, it says, Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. And he says this word verse, in verse 3, Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful, notice this, to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in the land flowing with milk and honey. And then here's the Shema. This is a statement that Jesus quotes, and it's a statement that the rabbis, the scribes, and any really devout Jew would have known very well. It says, hear. Don't miss that word, hear. Hear. God is a God who speaks. He has revealed himself to us. And here he says, hear, O Israel. Listen, O Israel. And then what is the statement? The Lord our God, the Lord is one. What we find out about God is that God is the only God. There is this exclusivity in the Old Testament of God for the people of Israel. This is my God. He is the God of, figuratively speaking, God of all gods, though there are no other gods. But we make gods out of things and stuff, as I think Martin Luther famous or John Calvin famously said, is our hearts are like idol factories, They just create more and more idols, things to worship, things to adore, things to pursue, things to give our lives to and to spend our lives and our money and our worth in. And here what we find in this command is that there's a God who is unique. He is supreme. And if he in fact is, in fact, if he is actually God, if he is above all things, if he is holy, as we were singing about, if he is, if he is um, the creator God, if he is the sustainer of all things, if he's the one who literally gives us breath in our lungs to be able to live and to move and to have our being, as Paul so well eloquently said in, 
in the New Testament. If this is who God is, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. What does that mean for us? Why is that so important? Because if he is in actually God, then what does he deserve? If he in fact is God, then he alone deserves our worship. He alone deserves our affection. Our longings should be for him. I'm I, so, so thankful for many who've gone before me and others that you can use their quotes because it's so impressive. And there's like, there's no way, better way I could ever say it. So I'm just going to say how they said it. And, and, and this one, it was, uh, um, it was attributed to a missionary to India. And he said this, God's wholehearted love must not be answered in a half-hearted, with half-hearted love. You know, God's wholehearted love for us should not be and must not be answered in a half-hearted love. You see, when we love God above all else, the rest of our lives and affections fall into proper place. If we don't get this command correct, everything else is out of alignment. You know, the, the, the first command, you know, like as, as we're to, to have no other gods before him, meaning there's nothing that we should, and that doesn't just mean like, okay, there are, are other gods. The fact is that we place things of more importance to us above him. But if he is supreme, if he is above all things, then what does that mean for us as humans, us as created beings? You see, we should love him fully, completely. But if you notice in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might, all your strength. When we look at the New Testament, we see Jesus in quoting this, but and he adds another, another word here. He says, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your, and he adds their mind, your intellect, your thoughts, your actions, the things that, that control you, the, the mind kind of that is, that is in a way controlling your thoughts and emotions. And, and here he's saying that your mind should be completely and fully loving God with all of your mind, with all of your strength. You see, it's this picture of completeness, of a complete and utter love for God. But your reality is, is Jesus, as he marries these two commands together, a love for God and a love for others, what we get in this command is everything else is coming into place. As we love God properly, and not just properly, supremely, we then can learn how to love coworkers properly. We can learn how to love our kids properly. We can love our spouses properly, our friends, our next-door neighbors, people who are our enemies. How do we love these people? We can only love them by first our love for God. But I want to get to our third point, and this is where I'll spend the most amount of our time this morning, is this, is how? How can we keep this command? You know, have you ever thought about that? Like, commanded to love. You're like, wait, how can I command? It's like, you can't command me to love, right? Like, lo love should come, like, you know, naturally. Like, I should just love something. Like, like commanding to love seems 
Like it shouldn't work that way. It should work differently. So how can we possibly love God and it be a command to love God with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all my mind, and with all my strength? I want you to see as this goes on. Look at the story here as Jesus answers. So he answers and says, you're going to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is like this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Look at verse 32. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said. First of all, you're like, the scribe is like, you're right. <laughs> of course you're right. <laughs> like, you're Jesus. Okay, yes, I am right. The second is this. It's like, thank you, I needed that. <laughs> you know, if you're Jesus. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. I mean, God is exclusive. He's unique. There is no one like him. He is above all things. And therefore, he deserves our love. And so what he says in verse 33, and to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself, notice what he says here. It's really remarkable. Is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now remember, where are they when all these questions are being asked? You remember, I, mean, I know it's been, we've been slowly going through this, so we're still on Tuesday of the last week of Jesus' life. In three days on Friday, he's going to be crucified. But right now, he's in the temple. He's at the temple courts, and he's being drilled by these different questions as he goes there. He's already overturned the money changers and seen the, the bustling, the bizarre aspect of like, oh, there's all this activity and the selling and, and using and profiteering off of the poor and the people coming to offer their sacrifices. And it's become this place of transactions and there's little to no prayer. That's why Jesus said, my house should be a house of prayer, quoting again the Old Testament. And here, all this religious activity, you can imagine they can smell the burnt offerings behind them. They can hear the cries of, of animals or people confessing sins. You can hear all this religious activity and all these sacrifices and all these things in the backdrop. And this scribe says, it's much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. What's he getting at here? The scribe is on to something. He's saying it's a matter of the heart. You see, you th when you think of commands, it's like, 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 like my wife would tell you, she's with the preschoolers this morning, but as my, as my wife would say, I mean, she's very much like, give me the rules and I will, I will follow them. Like, I, give me a, she's very much a checklist person. And her personality is very much checklist. And, and it's like, all right, tell me what I'm supposed to do and what I'm not to do. And I'm going to do my dead level best to not do those things. If, that might be many of you in this room. Uh, and others of you are like, no, man, I'm like, I am, that's not me. I just kind of fly by the seat of my pants, you know, a little more like me probably. But my wife's very much this rule follower, and she would be glad to know, all right, tell me, what, what's the 613? List them out. <laughs> let, let me get them on, let me get them on, let me memorize them, and let me learn them so I can keep all of those commands, and that then will, will get me acceptable before God. Let me know what it is I need to know. This man says there's something unique about what Jesus is saying, and there's more to the story than just keeping commands. He's saying it's much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. 
See, that's in the Old Testament. God and the minor prophets. You could just read all of them. I, I had the privilege when I was a student pastor to just walk through all the minor prophets. And it was really a joy. I tried to preach a whole minor prophet in one sermon. And so uh, and it was really, really such a blessing for me to study those and kind of looking at the whole picture of it. But over and over again, you would see this. The people are, have turned from the living God. They have turned from their sins. But yet, I mean, they've not turned from their sins. They've turned from him. They're not worshiping God. They're, they're worshiping the things of this world. They're worshiping their idols. They're, they're lost and they're, and they're wayward. But yet they would still come and offer their sacrifices. They would still go to the temple. They might even still go to the synagogue they would offer their sacrifices. They would, observe the, the, they would observe some of the commands of Scripture, and they would still offer their sacrifices. And God would speak against them and saying, like, don't give me that. I, it's not acceptable to me. Your, your worship is in vain. Your, your sacrifice of, of, of offerings and, and this trying to put this aroma up to me, it's... it's it's stinky. It's not, wor- it's, it's not worship of me. It's fake. It's hypocritical. So this man is knowing something that it's about the heart. But here's the problem. Can, can I, in fact, keep these laws? Or my wife, you know, who's much better. Maybe, she, maybe she's a better example. She'd be better at keeping the laws than I probably would. So could she, if I gave her this list and God says, here's the 613 laws to keep. Here's the list. Here's the most important one. Love God with everything you have. All of it. And you're like, okay, can we do another, can we do another law? <laughs> like, don't steal. I'll try not to steal, all right? <laughs> you know? Or like, can we do a different law? No. You're saying, love you with everything I have. Because if you're like me, you're going like, I don't do that. I didn't do that this morning, probably. And you might be going like, I'm not doing that right now. I haven't done it this week, especially. I've really loved God with all my heart. I, how can I do this? How is it possible to love God with everything that you have. The reality is, is it's impossible to love God. But yet we're commanded it, right? It's a command to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. But guess what? None of us can do it, and we're actually incapable of doing it. You're never going to be good enough. I am not good enough. I tried it for about 15 years or 12 years of my life tried to be good enough. I was doing it in my own power. I was, I really was. Like, I wasn't like the, the I wasn't like I was saying, I'm not the perfect rule keeper per se, but, but like, but I, I, I was, I wanted God to love me and I knew who he was. I knew what Jesus had done. I believed facts about who he was. I knew that he had died on a cross and I believed that he died on the cross and I believed that he died for my sins. I did. But I was, my, my relationship to God was very much, how can I earn your love? And so I would do my best. I would, I would try to read my Bible. As a teenager, not many teenagers do that. And I was, I was reading my Bible, not great, not consistently, but I was trying. And I would pray and I would, I would, tr- I, mean, when, when I would go to, I would play football and, and baseball and I was a part of different teams and some of my teammates would drink and party on the weekends and, and various stuff. And I'd be there with them and I would be like, no, I can't do that. I know God wouldn't accept me. God, wouldn't, God wouldn't, wouldn't like that. And so I probably shouldn't do that. And so I, somehow by the God's grace, I chose not to do those things. But I was doing it in my own power, in my own strength. I was being self-righteous. And so when I was 17, 
I really believe God just, I had been reading my Bible again, and I had been, I'd read a, a book called it's not, it's not About Me. And as I was reading that book, and as I was reading scripture, and, and going to church, and being a part of the church that my parents went to, and our family attended, God just began to work in my heart, and reveal my self-righteousness, that I was trying to earn God's love. You see, when we think about this command, it's not about earning, it's not about attaining righteousness. It's about gift righteousness. It's a gift given. You see, how can I ever love God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength? And how can I love my neighbor as myself? You see, it's because Jesus was about to show them God's love. He was going to reveal to them God's love perfectly. In three days, he was going to get on a cross and be crucified for the sins of the entire world. He was going to go on that cross and we were going to experience, and not experience, we were going to see, he was going to display his love for us on a cross. And he was going to also, at the same time, be displaying his love for neighbor. Where, where, he, he's, where he's seeing, the, 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 he's innocent. He's completely innocent. Here, these criminals are right beside him. They deserve it. Barabbas deserves to die in his place. But yet the people say, give us Barabbas. We want Jesus crucified. And instead of Jesus condemning them, he loves them. He doesn't say, no, I don't deserve this. You deserve this. No, he goes to the criminal's cross. And as he goes there, he displays for us and he shows us perfect love. I want to challenge you this week to read the book. Like maybe you're like struggling with quiet time or maybe you have a consistent quiet time, time with the Lord. I want to encourage you to read the book of 1 John. Maybe try to read it, the whole thing, every day for the next week. That might be too big of a goal. Okay, start with a chapter and try to just read the, the book of 1 John. 1 John is going to reveal to you the love of God and our love for others. It's a great, wonderful book to study. And I want to challenge you this week. It's like kind of like a next step for you this week. Read 1 John. See God's love for you and how he loved you perfectly and how he loved perfectly with with no ounce of of remorse or regret or like, man, like, do I have to? Like, no, he loves you infinitely. What's interesting about this scribe is there's, some, there's a statement, and I want you to see it in verse 34. This is what's wrecked me this week. Verse 34. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely. So here's this man. He's come. He's asked a legitimate question. He's come humbly, it seems. He seems very sincere in his question. He wants to know what Jesus' take is on the the law and the commands. He's sincere. He's not trying to trap Jesus. It doesn't appear to be that way. And now we see he understands Jesus' statement rightly. He gets it. He's like, yeah, you're right in that. And that my offerings and people's offerings and sacrifices, he says, it's much more than all our love for God and, and Loving him supremely is much more than just offering sacrifices. 
understands that. But notice what Jesus says in verse 34. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. That phrase has, I would say, wrecked me. It's a phrase that is rather terrifying. If you think about it, there's hope there. He's close. You know, I think of the Super Bowl. I think it was Super Bowl 34 or something like that. Sadly, I know these things. But um, I think it was here in Atlanta. It was um, the Titans and the Rams. And um, I think my father-in-law, if he's listening online, he's been sick. I think he, he left the game early, so he didn't get to see the very end of this. It happened, but it's like, I mean, it's the end of the game. There's six seconds left. Here the Titans are driving to, to tie or win the game. And six seconds left. I remember this like, like it was yesterday. I was watching the game as a, as a still teenager. And here he throws the, throws the ball. I think it was Steve McNair. He throws the ball uh, to Andre Dyson, and Dyson catches the ball, and he reaches out, and he gets tackled, and he was like this close to the end zone buzzer, it's over, time's up, game's over. He was this close. When I think of that, and I think of like the game of inches as the NFL is called, and you think, here's a statement, this man is close to the kingdom. It's interesting to think that you can be inches away from heaven, but yet spend all of eternity in hell. We don't know the outcome of this man. We don't know if he ended up in the kingdom of God. He was close. and But what does that mean when, you're, when Jesus says you're close, but you're not in yet? How is that possible? Because it makes me wonder how many people are close. Maybe born in a Christian home and a family, brought to church, have access to Bibles, heard about Jesus, don't have anything against Jesus. But here's the reality is this, is Jesus said, you cannot just be in agreement with Jesus' teachings. You cannot just admire Jesus. Hear this, you must submit to him as your Lord. Next week we get to see this. Jesus goes straight into a conversation about the lordship of himself. That David, because he's, he's going to bring up his own question to him. We're going to dive into it next week. It'll help explain my point right now, but I want to hold off till next week to give it more time. But here's this picture is we cannot just admire him and be like, he's a good teacher, he's, he's great. No, he must be our Lord. We must surrender to the king. We must bow the knee before him. We must surrender our life, as Jesus in his own words said. Deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. You must surrender to him. If he really is Lord of all, if he is the God that we were saying, if he is supreme, he deserves all of our worship. He deserves all of our praise. So we must surrender to him. But again, still coming back to our, 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 I think the point is still on the screen. But how can we do this? How can we love him? Because if you're like me, you're going this week, I have I failed miserably. I know I have. I haven't loved him supremely. So how can it be possible to do this? This seems impossible. 
reality is, is this is why he came. The command to love God is showing you that you can't love him. Paul does a great job of this in the book of Galatians, explaining this. We, here's the law given. The law, what does it do? Is it something to attain? Give me the list, let me attain them. No, it's a list that's given because of who God is. He's holy and he's righteous. And, and like, you can't just be unrighteous in his presence. No, but what does the law do? Can we keep it? No, the reality is they couldn't keep it. But why do you think they needed sacrifice? The sacrifices were a picture of Jesus' ultimate sacrifice. I was, we were doing this with our kids in devotions this week. We've been talking about sin, and we've been in the garden for a while talking about sin and its effects. And we were talking about how even in the very beginning in the garden, we see God already revealing to us how he was going to rescue us, even in chapter 3 in Genesis. As they are naked and afraid, and they're ashamed, because they have sinned. Their eyes have been opened and now they feel shame. They feel for the first time things they never thought of. The evil has now infiltrated their lives, every part of their being. What does Jesus do? Even as he's sending them out of the Garden of Eden, what does he do? He clothes them with the skin of an animal. Where did he get that skin? That skin was from an animal that was, had to be killed, sacrificed given. Because that animal died, they were clothed. And this was a picture of the gospel, that Jesus was going to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so, guess what? The clothing that we get isn't a clothing that we're wearing now. It's robes of righteousness. It's His righteousness. Because when He went to the cross, He lived that life of no sin. He loved God supremely, completely, and fully. He loved neighbor perfectly. He loved every single person perfectly all the way to the cross. And because he lived a sinless, perfect life, he could then properly be the atoning sacrifice. He could pay the price for our sins. He could make a way for us to be saved. And so because he was going to go to the cross three days later, he was going to rise so that we too could rise with him. Why he was answering about the resurrection last week as we looked at that. He was giving us hope. There's hope because he has been the one who does love perfectly so that now he gives us a new heart and new motives. And so now our love for God is not a motivated by earning. God, I'm loving you. Will you love me back? God, will you bless my life, bless my home, bless my, my work and all these things. Give me these things because I'm loving you. I'm earning that. And, and God, see what I'm doing. No, it's not that. It's what happens in 1 John. And I want you to read it this week. So what we see is that we don't love God until we've seen that he has loved us first. When you see the love of God displayed on the cross and displayed in the pages of scripture, that leads to a transformation where we surrender our lives to the king and saying, I can't earn it. I can't love you the way I should love you, God. I need you to help me. I am so thankful that you sent your son Jesus to live perfectly in my place. And I'm resting and I'm putting all the chips of my life and I'm going all in with you, Jesus. I give you my life and I surrender to you. You are the Lord of my life. Listen, I want to ask you this question this morning. I believe Augustine said it really well. Christ is not valued at all unless he is valued above all. Our worship is worthless. Singing some songs this morning and the song we're about to sing here in a second, all of it worthless, empty. If Christ is not valued above all. 
Let us love God with our entire being, not to earn God's love, but because he first loved us. My great fear, people often ask, why plant a church in Georgia? Why plant a church in the Bible Belt? Why not go to some other country or go up north or go out west? Um, I've, since I was 17, in a Christian school, going to church on Sundays and Sunday nights. Wednesdays, we would go memorizing scripture, doing a WANA program and all this stuff. But I was far from God. It might appear as if this statement was true of me. You are not far from the kingdom of God. But in the reality, that gap is insurmountable apart from Christ. And until I put my rest in what he had done for me in my place and said my righteousness is his filthy rags, my goodness will never be good enough. I need you and I surrender to you. I give you my life. You know what that did? It gave me a great burden for my classmates who were in the Christian school, going to the same church, who were living as if God didn't exist, and I knew it. So I went into ministry and student ministry in the South because I was seeing my life in the lives of students who are in these Christian homes who are far from God and might seem like they're so close, but yet they're so far away. And that's how I feel. Even to this day, as a church planted in, Redeemer Community Church planted here in Beaufort, Georgia, there's many who are right around us who know the facts about Jesus, know that he died on a cross, maybe even believe in these facts, but they've never surrendered to the king. They've never given their life to him and rested in what he has done for them. And if listen, if that is you, I pray that you would put your trust in him and repent of your sins and turn to him alone. It is by faith alone, in Christ alone. Listen, it is only of grace that God would love us and come and to take our place. So let us love God with our entire being, with what we do have, knowing that it's imperfect and every shortcoming there's Jesus filling in the gap for us, resting in his righteousness. We're not trying to earn his love, but because he first loved us. Let that, let, let, Let's let that lead us to have his eyes, his heart, his hands with all the people around us as we love God with everything we have and love our neighbor as ourselves. Let me pray this morning. Oh God, we are at least I am convicted of and reminded of your grace to me. That your grace was greater than all of my sin. That your love for me is perfect. That your love is, is always true and always right. It's always meets us where we are. You are infinitely love. You're steadfast in your love. You are loyal in your love. 
We see who you are as described in the scriptures. You are merciful and gracious, abounding in steadfast love. I thank you for this love that gave of your life so that I could have life. Father, I'm a burden for those in this room and not just the ones in this room, for this community and our world, God, who may be like this scribe and know some facts about Jesus, but has not surrendered to your Lordship. God, I pray that we would have eyes to see, but ears to hear as we see hear, O Israel. God, may we hear you speak to us through your word. And may we not just be hearers of the word, but may we be doers of your word as we do these things because of we have been loved, not to get your love. Father, again, I ask that you would help us, help us to be more like you, help us to love you supremely. May we love people around us, all people around us, the way you love us. Help us in all these ways, and we rely on Christ and your spirit to help us in this. We ask this in your son's name.